Hi, this is Dan Mindis with NextGen Venture Partners coming off of a great interview with Ben Sardella, the co-founder of Outbound Works. Uh, in our conversation, uh, Ben talks about Outbound Works, how they are uh, reinventing uh, the uh, sales development process, reaching out to uh, enterprise customers and, and developing them in a better, faster, cheaper way than is traditionally done to date. Uh, ben also uh, provides some tips and best practices uh, for sales leaders generally um, for creating systems that um, personalize their uh, outbound messaging, but not, not in a, uh, a creepy way, but in an authentic way. Um, uh, positioning uh, your company's product um, in the right way uh, to customers uh, and uh, and doing it in a, uh, a manner that is more efficient uh, and and leads to more revenue uh, than ever before. Um, I think it's an important conversation for anyone uh, who's uh, building sales teams uh, and thinking about how to increase uh, revenue, especially in a B2B context. Hope you enjoy the conversation. And without further ado, here's that con uh, chat with Ben. Thanks so much for taking some time with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So before we get into Outbound Works, give us a sense of your background. What, what were you doing before co-founding the company? Yeah, before co-founding Outbound Works, I co-founded a company called Datanize, which is uh, still a thriving company in the sales development and data space as well. Um, we had about 60,000 sales development reps using the platform, and we became the leader in technographics, which is really the the art and science of figuring out who, what companies use a specific type of technology. And give us the story of Outbound Works. How did it get started? Yeah. So as I was considering parting ways with Datanize and trying to figure out what challenge I was going to take on next and try and solve, um, I was looking at the user base information at Datanize and seeing a lot of turnover in the user base. So a lot of sales development folks um, leaving and maybe coming back and, you know, for some other organizations, but, um, but there was just a lot of turnover and that was, um, it was kind of very eye opening and um, glaring when you're looking at the data set. And so at the same time, I, I started to look at my own SDR team, which was about 10 to 15 sales development reps at the time. And, um, and it was sort of the same issue. We were having a lot of turnover and I started talking to my um, to my network, which is pretty vast. And um, 100% of the sales leaders I talked to were also having this problem. And what it boils down to is this, the sales development role by nature is transitional role. There's very few people you'll ever run across to say they want to be an SDR for their career. So what, what we see happening is um, if you hire poorly, within three to six months, you've got to replace that SDR. And now you've really set back your operating plan. Um, bringing on an SDR, they take about three months to ramp up. If you've let them go within three to six months and then you find another one and then they take another three months to ramp up and you know, hopefully you've hired great again, um, either way your operating plan gets affected because you're starting off the year you know, trying to create a certain amount of opportunities for the sales team to close a certain percentage of those so that you hit those revenue goals. But the other side of that is if you hire perfectly, you're also only going to get that SDR for maybe 12 to 18 months if you're lucky because they all want to get promoted to either account executives or move somewhere else in the organization or, uh, you know, they get a better paying job somewhere else because you started paying them an entry level rate as they were just getting out of college. So we were looking at how to solve that problem. <clears throat> and um, 
And a couple of options came up. One was down the AI uh, route. And as I started to investigate that more and more, what I was finding was there was a lot of hype, but not a lot of actual tech and functionality that was able to really uh, fill up the pipeline in a way like an SDR does. We're, we're years away from that, um, both from a technology perspective as well as a trust perspective, I believe, in that like, you know, a good sales leader um, is going to have their their concerns and be a little skeptical once AI is really ready for prime time as well. Um, and at Upbound Works, we're definitely building tools to go down that path. But like I said, I, I think we're still years away from that completely. And then there were two other sort of paths, which was uh, really around outsourcing. And so with outsourcing, those branched off into two ways. One was offshoring, which you know, personally, I never had a great experience with, and there wasn't a single sales leader as I was, you know, tapping my network that had a good experience with that. And then the other option was sort of outsourcing to more, you know, cheaper labor in middle America through a third party SDR shop. And I actually did use one of the best ones in the country. And I had five different reps in six months. And what I did in my research is I found out that those folks actually get paid barely above minimum wage. Um, it's nothing more than an entry level job for them to start getting some sales development chops so that they they can then move on to another company, you know, in more of a career track um, you know basis. And so really, that doesn't solve the problems that we were out there solving uh, whatsoever. So we took a big step back and said, well, how do we solve this then? And um, and so we decided to solve it without SDRs at all. And how we go about doing that is really taking a look at the SDR function and all the areas in which we expect the least experienced uh, resource that we have to engage with our second most important asset, which is our our future customer. And you know, which seems crazy in, in and of itself, but we took a step back and we said, well, what are what are these folks responsible for, and how can we? streamline that and uh, automate a lot of that function, but still not water down the value that can be delivered. And what we did was we we focused on four key areas of the sales development function. And that's where, where we really built our service around. So at each of those layers, we either provide automation or expertise. So if I were to break down those four layers, uh, we focus one on the uh, the ideal customer profile and the key personas. Oftentimes we talk to clients and they, they actually don't have that well-defined. And even when they do, we start to dig in a little bit further and we start to uncover a lot more um, deeper issues, the pains that they're solving and things like that that we can really uh, address. So once we figured that out, then it's about the data. And so we built tools that can ingest data from all the best different data providers. We can essentially normalize that data across multiple data sets, enrich it through those data sets, and then curate the perfect type of target list we'd want to go after. And then from there, we've got a team of expert copywriters that are building out the email sequences that we use to engage with on behalf of our clients to set them up with appointments for our next customers. And you know, the last step is really the appointment setting and question answering um, function as we begin to engage when we get responses. And uh, we've got a combination of tech there. We build out an FAQ doc with our clients so that we can get all the answers to typical questions that would come across. And we've got a team of responders that are ready to reply to emails in a matter of minutes to set up those appointments. And you know, along that way, we've uh, we've got almost 40 customers now. We're delivering about one and a half times the results of a typical SDR at our 
basic price level. And uh, we're doing that at about 65% of the cost of an SDR, and we get up and running in about 30 days. You mentioned you had 40 customers. When did you launch? We launched on April 1st, officially. And we're talking now no, November. Uh, yep. So we're yep. the, uh, six or so months, uh, yep. 40 um you know these and the forty customers, and the, these are not you know uh, hundred dollar a month kind of customers here. Um, they're they're paying you real money. Uh, yep. Why, you know that and that that's kind of bad out of hell sort of growth um, for <laughs> right. uh, for an early stage um, company. You know how, why do you think it's it's resonated so well? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know we we've certainly you're right. I mean the revenue goals that. Um, we've hit already are far surpassed what we did at Datanize, which Datanize was uh, another company that grew very quickly. And um, we've accomplished in six months what took us about two years at Datanize. So um, I think it's because the problem's real. It's it's very real. Um, you know, one of the more difficult things to do with a company, especially in the earlier stages, is to, um, you know, to hire um, first and foremost. And when you hire, it's really challenging, especially for SDRs, because oftentimes they have zero experience. And so you're hiring for other attributes about that individual. Maybe they, you know, they were a member of the military or they were an athlete in college. And so they have certain, you know, team uh, team player kind of attributes that you'd look for. Or they went to, you know, really great school and they showed that they could do well or they're doing things in their, you know, in their personal lives that are positively impacting the world. And so, you know, you look for those things, but it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what makes up a perfect SDR when you don't have a, a an employment track record to basically go off of like you may with other more senior roles. So that's one thing. And then secondly, once you bring these folks in, um, it's challenging to, you know, keep them engaged, keep them on point, train them. Um, it takes a lot of infrastructure to support them, to give them an environment which they can actually be successful. And, um, and you know, and, and oftentimes you've got a certain culture going on and you bring in folks that just came out of college and that can actually, uh, you know, can, can positively or negatively impact your culture. <clears throat> so I think all those factors are real. But then on the flip side, we're actually delivering tangible results. Um, you know, if you figure out what percentage of opportunities with your ideal customer profile you can close – then looking at our price point and mapping that to the number of opportunities we're going to create, knowing that you're going to achieve a certain revenue result on the back end of that um, is very tangible, very real, and something that we've been able to do uh, successfully for, for you know, the majority of our customers. You mentioned earlier that a number of your customers are startups themselves. Uh, why do you think that is, and, and is that uh, the plan going forward, or do you think that's the, just the initial market? Yeah, I think what we found initially, and this is probably a good lesson for a lot of the folks that are, you know, a part of the portfolio, what we found initially is that, you know, pure startups are really tough to engage with in that a lot of times they don't yet have product market fit. Um, the strategy of the company itself is, you know, is still not totally defined and they may not even have the resources to actually pay for your services for the full length of a contract. Usually our contracts are about six months to start. So, you know, so from that perspective, it can be pretty challenging in that um, what we actually deliver for the early, early stage startups is more of an education rather than the results. Even though we're delivering some results, the value may be more 
you know, more balanced on the on the education side of things. Um, that being said, where we found our sweet spot is anybody ready to hire a sales development rep or has already hired um, a sales development rep. That way we can really come in um, and, you know, they've got some product market fit. We know some marketing stuff that they've done has worked at some level. And we're able to come in and not only do we deliver appointments, but we're out also building assets for the team. So our ability to help you define your ideal customer profile and those key personas to figure out what data sources are the best ones to leverage, to write really engaging business copy that's going to get clicks and you know responses and things like that. All the FAQ doc that we built, all those things become assets for our customers. And especially in the early days where they may not have um, you know, a um, sales enablement help, um, they may not even have management that's like totally focused on managing and training the SDRs. All these assets are really um, good things to use. So as you're also hiring sales development reps or AEs, for example, while working with us, um, they now have tools at their fingertips that can get them up and running a lot faster. Do you think, uh, let's, let's look forward, you know, a couple, uh, several years from now, uh, yeah. and imagine you have a significant customer, right. Uh, you, you know, using you, do you think they're using you in conjunction with their own sales development reps? Or do you think that, you know, they're just, a hundred percent outbound works or, or something like outbound works. And, and the, just the, the idea of the sales development reps residing within a, a corporate, a corporate, you know, entity just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. I think, I think there's always going to be a place for the SDR. I think it's dependent on the size of the deals that the company is working and the, the complexity of those deals that will probably drive um, the need for more of an SDR function in in that you can get very deep from a personalization perspective, really understand the dynamics of um, how to engage with a buying team um, rather than sort of one-off engagement and, and that sort of thing. So I think that there's still value there for an SDR to handle tier one accounts and do deep personalization, which I, I think that's going to be there for a while. Um, and it's also great to have somewhat of a farm system, so to speak, to, to pull from and make those folks, you know, young AEs at a company, for example. But that being said, we've got companies that um, already have told us, we've got multiple customers that have already told us they're no longer hiring any more SDRs. They're going to scale with us until, you know, it gets to a point where we hit a ceiling in the things that we're doing. Of course, we hope that doesn't happen because we're going to continue to uh, evolve our way to engagement. But we also have some companies that already have well-established sales processes, um, large sales development teams, and they brought us on to um, go and target their greenfield accounts, um, crack into new markets, do a lot of testing and things like that, which doesn't distract their current SDR team um, at all that have named territories or named accounts, but allows um, you know, them to bring us in and really like find out what might work for their next strategy and then decide, do they want to deploy us and scale with us for that new strategy? Or do they then want to hire a team around us? You mentioned personalization. Uh, and I guess the, the more personalization that you think is important, you know, the, the, the more you need your own SDRs and you need specialization there. Uh, uh, what tips would you give, um, you know, sales leaders on, personalization. And here, I think we're, we're mostly talking about outbound email uh, over yeah. time. Though there are other things, yeah. but you know, what, uh, what are, what are sort of some best practices with personalization uh, in uh, out, outbound sales email? 
Yeah, I think it's a fine line between, you know, dialing in exactly what you do and why you believe strongly that what you do is meaningful for them and being creepy. Right. And so you want to you, you certainly want to be careful um, and toe that line. But where I think there's things that are meaningful, I mean, we can use data as an example, you know, understanding who uses a certain technology can allow you to draft a personalized message um, because, you know, potentially your technology either is a nice supplement, it integrates, it's in the same ecosystem, it competes. Um, so there are certain things you know that might ring true for what they're dealing with. Um, you know, asking someone, you know, how, how their kid did at a soccer game over the weekend because you, you, you scope them out on Facebook is something you, you want to stay away from for sure. But you want to keep it in the tone of like, you know, if that person has maybe written some content recently or, you know, they did an interview online and they said something that was meaningful or they shared something that, um, you know, that you know that your service um, can actually address in a better way or is in some type of alignment. I think that really helps. It shows that you've done some research. You've done a little bit of homework. Um, I had a, um, I had somebody I, I personally outreached to recently and, um, they had just stepped into a new role and, um, and I had a contact of mine that knew that person tell me a little bit about some of the challenges they had to deal with. So leveraging your network's um, pr always pretty important. But then I also looked in and I saw they went to the same school I did. Um, they both, we, we both went to Boston University. So, you know, there's a, there's always that mix of, you know, adding something contextual in that shows that you've done a little bit of homework, that you can empathize with what they might be currently experiencing, and then making any brief connection points that you can that um, would be relevant, might get their attention, that sort of thing, I think is also uh, important. And with Outbound Works, you guys, you know, subscribe to all these databases. You're wolfing in information from all over the place. Can that spit out uh, elements that lead to personalization? Can that say, oh, by the way, you know, you went to the same school, or you know, uh, the, the uh, you know, check out this this piece of content, or is that just every time you're you're hitting a prospect, you know, back to you know, Doctor Google? Yeah, I think um, I think that's where we're headed for sure. Personalization at scale is, I think. You know, we're, we're certainly out there in the early days, of course, you know, where we're at right now, but we are building um, buyer profiles of essentially every buyer that, that is going to be out there and understanding how to engage with those folks properly. And that, that takes a lot of time and, of course, a lot of engagement to really tie that all in together. That's certainly our goal. Um, today, what we do is really focus on um, the understanding of the role that they're in and the organization that they're at and the pains that they're typically going to be experiencing and then mapping those to the value proposition of the service that we're delivering the message for. Um, so as we continue to grow and expand and go deeper into those things, um, we'll certainly be able to um, pinpoint things that are much deeper on a personalization level as well. Do you think uh, the balance, sort of balance of power, or balance of importance between sort of call it inside sales and outside sales, it, uh, will change over the next three to five years? I do think so. I think you know, leveling the playing field for outbound has certainly been a core part of what I've been working on in the last four or five years between the, the two past companies, um, and um, you know, inbound is something that it really allowed the consumer or the buyer to get ahead of very quickly. If you think about things like Yelp or, 
Glassdoor or, um, you know, or uh, the Car Carfax, uh, you know, or anything like that, where it really, you know, technology and the Internet has given consumers and and buyers this ability to know more about a company before they ever engage with someone. And at the point of engagement, it's almost, you know, a secondary kind of engagement um, where a decision has been mostly made that somebody's going to be moving, you know, forward with a service like yours. And then, you know, in some cases, even your service. And so it's then about the the rep just not messing it up and, um, you know, showing good face for the company and, you know, engaging professionally and, and all of those things. Um, I do think from an outbound perspective, those um, a lot of those tools that are being leveraged for inbound are also, you know, able to be carried over at some form. Uh, to outbound. And I think over time, you know, the playing field will continuously be, continuously be more and more level. What does success look like for outbound works? Um, and let's, let's project forward three years from now. Yeah. I mean, our ultimate goal is um, to at least replace a single, if not multiple SDRs at, um, you know, at, if, if we do that for over a thousand or so companies, we're a hundred million dollar company and, you know, and we're in, we're in really good shape to really grow out the business. And that's a very, very achievable, um, goal considering, you know, the progress we've made just early on with very little resources. Um, but I also think, you know, it, it's, it goes much deeper than just like what we hit at a revenue level, of course. I mean, you know, revenue is great and it certainly excites me and I know it excites our investors, of course, but, um, but we're really out to really change the, the world here, the sales world and how, how we engage. And I think there's a lot of responsibility on companies that are entering into AI to build things that are ethical, especially around sales. Um, and of course all other, other aspects, but, you know, for our little part of it, I think, our ability to create something very ethical um, and at the same time uh, able to handle the majority of the workload that should be automated at this point um, is something that if you know if we're doing those things in concert with hitting our revenue goals, and I'd say you know we're we're in a pretty good level of success at that point. You guys are working to build a, a company that does this in an ethical way. What does unethical look like in the sales world, in particular, you know, leveraging over time, leveraging AI? You know, what 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 would other companies do, or what what would you be worried about? Yeah, I think I think misrepresentation is is always really important. You, you know, I, one of the things that we set out to do to really differentiate ourselves as a as a service company early on, as we're building the tech is to really not achieve the goals we're trying to achieve through volume, but through quality. So we take an account-centric approach to our engagements. Uh, we don't contact for, you know, at the basic level for our clients, we don't contact anything more than a thousand contacts on a monthly basis. Um, typically, we're delivering anywhere between 15 to 20 qualified appointments at that rate per month. Um, we could certainly do 15 to 20 qualified appointments if we were out there engaging with you know, tens of thousands of contacts every single month. But the problem then is we would be watering down the brand of our customer. Um, and we also want to do it in a way that's actually expressing the business value that they deliver and not something gimmicky and, you know, tricky, tricky or anything like that. So I think AI could go in that direction. And, um, you know, certainly at a consumer level, I think, you know, when you think about the old days of the, um, 
you know, hey, I've got fifty thousand dollars that needs to be wired to your account, and um, you know, I'm I'm out in you know some some random country, you know, sending you this message. You know, we we certainly got to be careful of the folks that are not tuned into what could happen in an AI world, and and um, you know, misrepresenting brands and uh, you know and and taking folks down the wrong path. I think. You know, we want to do things in a, in a high quality way. We want to do things that are actually engaging folks at the time of need as well. And I think that's also some things that are yet to be defined totally. But um, understanding that, you know, once someone moves jobs and they've already purchased certain things in the past and now they're in a job function and that job function is similar to this company and that company looks like a similar company this size. And so all those things combine usually lead to someone having a certain pain point around X, Y, Z. Those are the types of buyer profiling we want to um, understand deeply and um, and then be able to engage where it's relevant so that, you know, we're not leading to just another, you know, form of future spam. We want to, you know, we want to, we want to tackle things that are, that are relevant, timely, and, uh, you know, significant in value to the folks we're engaging with. Ben Sardella, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited to be working with you guys and and to engage with the portfolio. Proud to be a part of it. And uh, you know, anything I can do to help any of the companies that are out there from a sales perspective, outside of using outbound works, but just you know, just ideas and and help you might need building your sales teams. Um, feel free to reach out. I've I've done this a number of times. I've advised lots of companies, and I'm always happy to help out fellow sales leaders and entrepreneurs. Well, we might well take you up on that. Thanks, Ben. Great. Sounds good. Thank you.